What you are hearing is the capuchin bird or calf bird of South America. It is a large, odd-looking passerine or songbird. They use air sacs in their throats to amplify the call, which has been described by me as a cow being sawn in half with a chainsaw. My name is Torrin Attenborough, and I will be your guide to the world of very interesting bird noises. The avian vocal organ is called the syrinx. It is a bony structure unique to birds. The syrinx enables some species of birds to create multiple sounds simultaneously, and other birds, such as parrots and crows, to mimic human speech. Say nevermore. Waka 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 waka. Nevermore. That was a raven. The distinction between songs and calls is based upon complexity, length, and context. Songs are longer and more complex and are associated with territory and courtship, while calls tend to serve such functions as alarms or simply keeping in contact. The laughing kookaburra, formerly known as the laughing jackass, is found only in Australia, Tasmania and New Zealand, but it is perhaps best known as the rote bird sound used in any old TV show or movie in which the sound designer wanted to make a jungle scene sound exotic. The bird's laugh, which it uses to establish territory among family groups, can be heard at any time of day, but most frequently at dawn and dusk. Once a bird starts, others join in. What you are hearing now is not the kookaburra. It is the superb lyrebird, also of Australia, renowned for its elaborate tail and courtship displays and its uncanny mimicry. The lyrebird mimics not only dozens of other bird calls, but also any sound in its environment including that of nearby humans. This one spent time near a construction site. Listen closely and you will also hear sounds of children cameras and some totally sick techno beats.
One unique-sounding bird of the Caribbean is Montezuma's Oropendola. The song is sung by the male as part of a courtship display. As it makes the vocalization, the bird dips down from its perch, arse over tea kettle. Often the males try to outsing their rivals. The loudest bird call of all belongs to the white bellbird of the Guianas in South America. It has been recorded at 125 decibels, about as loud as an ambulance siren or a jet plane during takeoff, and the threshold at which pain begins in the human ear. The record was previously held by the screaming piha with 116 decibels. According to ornithologist Ed Scholes, during World War II, while Japanese soldiers were pushing through New Guinea, they heard this sound. The soldiers thought they were under attack by a machine gunner. It was, in fact, the call of the brown sicklebill, a species of bird of paradise native to the region. Swiftlets are found across the Indo-Pacific region and typically roost in nests made of their own saliva and glued to cave walls. It is these nests from which bird's nest soup are made. At least 16 species of swiftlets use echolocation to navigate at night, much like various species of bat, emitting clicking sounds that bounce off surfaces. The oil bird likewise roosts in caves and uses echolocation. It also utters hair-raising squawks and shrieks that suggested its Spanish name, guacharo, or whaler. At night, it flies out to feed, hovering while it plucks fruit from trees. Venezuela's indigenous peoples annually hiked into caves, used poles to destroy the nests, and killed baby guacharo by the thousands. Because the oil bird ate so much palm oil, their bodies were rendered by the natives into fat used to fuel torches. Fortunately for the Gorcharo, the people believed the souls of their ancestors dwelled in the deepest recesses of the cave and refused to disturb them, which meant only the birds closer to the mouth of the cave met the unfortunate fate of becoming torch fuel. This sounds like a rattlesnake. It is a burrowing owl. In the Americas, burrowing owls often nest and roost in the burrows made by ground squirrels, a strategy also used by rattlesnakes. When threatened, the owl retreats to the burrow and produces rattling and hissing noises similar to that of a rattlesnake. The behaviour is suggested to be an example of acoustic Batesian mimicry and has been observed to be an effective strategy against animals familiar with the snakes. The southern cassowary is a large, flightless, ornery bird found in Australia and New Guinea. It has a thick fin on the top of its head called a cask or helmet. The cask is made of a sponge-like material and covered with a thick layer of keratin, the same thing human fingernails are made of. 
While cassowaries can chirp and hiss, they also make this growling sound that you would be forgiven to confuse with a tiger. With head tilted down toward the ground, its whole body vibrates, creating one of the lowest frequency sounds made by any bird. While scientists are not exactly sure what internal mechanism creates the sound, it's clear from watching a cassowary that it uses its body to amplify sound. Going as low as 24 hertz, these deep calls are bordering on infrasound. Low-frequency sounds carry a significant distance and are no doubt an effective way for cassowaries to communicate in dense rainforest. Some species of birds, such as New World vultures, lack a syrinx and communicate through throaty hisses. This is a pair of turkey vulture chicks feeling threatened. This is a rufous-sided broadbill of sub-Saharan Africa. It creates the sound not with its mouth, but with its wings, making a short flight around its perch. Here is another broadbill, the grey-headed broadbill. Other birds also create sound with their feathers. The male club-winged mannequin of Colombia stridulates, which is to say he vibrates his wings to create violin-like sounds to impress females. The mannequin's wings vibrate at twice the speed of hummingbird wings. Some birds are nearly voiceless, producing only percussive and rhythmic sounds, such as the storks which clatter their bills. In the spring in North America... The male ruffed grouse, also known as, I kid you not, the thunder chicken, perch on fallen logs and make a low-pitched drumming sound by opening and closing their wings in rapid succession. The thumping starts slow but quickly gains in speed and the rapidly beating wings turn into a complete blur when the drum roll reaches its peak. The male Gunnison sage grouse of the United States produce distinctive sounds like clogged plumbing by inflating their specialized neck pouches and quickly jerking their head and wings. Few ornithologists could identify this bird call. And that's because it's not a bird, it's a red squirrel. Just thought I'd throw that in there for shits and giggles. This segment of Torrent's Guide to Everything was made possible by Erica Holland, my Facebook friends with their many suggestions, and all the committed bird nerds at xenocanto.org. I am now going to read for you 
This was an article suggested by Jon Snow, not the one you're thinking of, unless you're thinking of the one that actually I am thinking of. This is on Time.com. It's from 2015, and it's by Alice Park. The title, How a Man's Unborn Twin Fathered His Child. I'm going to read that again. How a Man's Unborn Twin Fathered His Child. I'm already confused. Paternity tests are well known for producing some unexpected surprises. But the case involving a Washington man presents a new head-scratcher. After undergoing fertility treatments and having a son, the man and his partner were surprised when blood work showed that the boy couldn't be related to the father. After two paternity tests showed the father only shared 10% of his child's DNA, the parents feared the fertility clinic had inseminated the mother with another man's sperm. The couple hired a lawyer who wrote in to Barry Starr's Ask a Geneticist blog. Starr, director of outreach activities at Stanford's University Department of Genetics, suggested that the couple get a 23andMe analysis done. The consumer-based genetic testing company provides more detailed relationship and ancestry-type genetic data using hundreds of thousands of markers on the genome than the dozen or so markers that paternity tests cover. When the report arrived, Starr interpreted it for them, and he says, It just leapt out at me. Uncle, if it was a parent-child relationship, you would see 50% of the DNA related. If it is an uncle to a niece or nephew, it's 25% related. This man and his son were 25% related. It turns out that the DNA in the man's sperm, which was 90% he is his DNA and 10% that of his twins, was from his unborn fraternal twin. Vanishing twin syndrome, which refers to the condition in which one twin dies and is absorbed by the other, or by the mother or the placenta, occurs in anywhere from 20% to 30% of pregnancies with multiple babies. Apparently, the father had absorbed some of his twin cells in the womb, effectively becoming a blend, or chimera, of himself and his brother. The man's previous child's DNA matched his, so Starr says... He is like dad and uncle to his kids. Such cases are exceedingly rare, but they do occur. Previous cases of chimeras revealed people with cells that contain DNA different from their own. Mothers retain some cells of their children, and a recent Danish study found that women who gave birth to boys retained cells with Y chromosomes. These can migrate throughout the body and have been found in the lungs, thyroid, muscle, blood, heart, and even the brain of the mother. But what makes this man's case unusual is that some of the cells he obtained from his twin were apparently germline cells, which develop into eggs or sperm. Some cells outside of the developing fetus, in this case the man's fraternal twin, not identical since their DNAs are different, managed to get incorporated during the chaotic series of cell division and proliferation that occurs when an embryo starts to grow. It's known that germ cells that go on to make egg and sperm are also quite mobile and do migrate, in this man's case, apparently, from his unborn twin to him. It's not that an entirely new genome can be subsumed into another one, which could result in an excess of genetic material that is lethal. 
but some cells with differing DNA can be folded into a developing fetus and not be rejected because the fetus's immune system isn't developed enough to see it as foreign. Because the incorporation happened in utero, presumably early in development, the immune system was trained to see both the man's DNA and his twin's brothers as self. Dieter Egli, a stem cell scientist at Columbia University, notes that chimerism is what occurs with organ transplants and, on a more sophisticated level, with the new stem cell-based treatments that researchers are exploring now. Egli is quite familiar with the unusual results of mixing DNA and the exquisite balance that's required for proper human development. He is among the few who have used stem cells to clone human cells. The purpose isn't to make mini-me's, but to create a method for reliably producing cells from patients that can then be used to treat various diseases like Alzheimer's and spinal cord injury. This is certainly very unusual and interesting because it's a germline chimerism, he says. What's interesting is to explore in what way this affects the person's feeling of identity. These are questions that are more important as we start to use cell therapies and cell transplantations as well. It's likely that more than just the man's semen is a mix of his and his brother's DNA. Starr says that the man's skin shows a different striping pattern because his skin cells are a chimera of the, tr of the two as well. His twin's skin tone was slightly darker and therefore shows up more distinctly against his lighter skin. His other tissues and organs are also likely a mix of the two DNAs, making matching for his blood type or other organs a challenge. Starr says that he and his colleagues plan to describe the case in more detail in a journal article. So far, they have presented it at the International Symposium on Human Identification and at the American Society of Human Genetics. That was 2015, so there's probably a follow-up somewhere, but it's time for bed. People, go to bed. Hey, it's Sarah from Adventure EXE. Why not tell your friends about Torn's Guide to Everything? If you have ideas for future episodes, questions, or just want to complain, well, you're going to have to go and like the Facebook page, subscribe to Torn Atkinson's YouTube channel, and tweet him at, at Thickets. And if you like this content, go to patreon.com slash Atkinson and throw him a couple of your Earth dollars. Torn would love it. Music generously provided by Thomas Falk. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the internet.